What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, let's just think about the episode. If there's a particular guest or topic, something you guys want us to cover, make sure and let us know in the comments. We're always checking YouTube and love to hear you guys' feedback and then be able to create future episodes from your guys' suggestions. Today I'm going to be joined by Lenny Reed, the owner and founder of Dynamite Diesel Products. I wanted to ask him a question one of our listeners had recently commented um, on YouTube about their 6.7 power stroke and they were trying to isolate if they had injector issues or maybe something else going on with the truck. So we're going to get into a conversation about maintenance, fuel filters, also things that newer diesel trucks can do to either create or make emission systems uh, problems worse um, or cause them or sometimes they're completely unrelated. So I'm going to have him answer that question and then also chat with him more about some really cool things that they're working on at Dynamite Diesel Products for injectors for Cummins, Duramax, and PowerStroke. Before we get to it, I want to remind you guys our friends at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off site wide code for you. Just use code 23diesel20 for 20% off site-wide at kershaw.kaiusa.com. We also have the code in the description below um, if you guys want to copy and paste it onto their site. They've got a bunch of new models for 2023. The latest is the Duramat, or the, the Duralock um, lineup, which is really cool. The way that the, the knife opens and closes keeps your fingers away from the blade. It's made out of D2 steel. It's a really nice knife, and they're priced right. So if you're in the market, definitely make sure and head on over, check out what they got, take advantage of that discount code. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Lenny Reed, having him answer a listener question and then also learning what Dynamite Diesel Products has been up to and some really cool things they're working on for injectors. Lenny, welcome to the Diesel Podcast. I got some listener questions for you today based on your last episode, and I figured it would be great to ask ask the man from, from the last one and see what you've been up to. So welcome back to the, to the podcast. Thanks. It's always fun being back. <laughs> I, I figured with this one, we'd start a little bit different and I'd hit you with this question because it was, it was pretty in depth. It came from YouTube, but I think it's going to be something that applies to all trucks, all newer trucks. Um, but a listener, um, he had listened to your last episode. He's got a 2020 six, seven power stroke and he's fighting a couple issues. One, um, there could be uh, an issue with the DPF with it cracked or something like that, where he got a code for it and he's noticed like a different color haze at idle um, but he did an injector balance test then he had some variants with three of them um, that were different and he's also making some oil so he's in this position where he's trying to figure out is this an issue with the injectors um, you know that caused it or is it an issue with the emission system because um, he's wanting to be able to make sure that he spends money in the right place um, he also asked if you guys did injectors for six, seven power strokes, which I'm sure we'll get to. But this brings up a larger question of with these emission systems, trying to diagnose the issue, you know, that's at hand. So what, what, um, where would be a good place for him to start? What should he do to try to isolate? Are these injectors bad or is it my emission system? Is it both? The, from what I can tell, like the emission systems on these trucks, uh, they get hurt rather than fail. So, what I do know for a fact is when the injector gets dirty, it slows down. So when it's commanded to fire, it does that at a, at a delayed time. And of course, to try and generate the horsepower that your foot is asking for, the ECU, even with factory program, says, I want you to inject for 1800 microseconds, for example. 
And even though it's only at 1800 US, it's doing that, but its start point was late. So its finish point is late. So the DPF and the EGR system both seem to get taxed pretty hard when the injectors get dirty and slow down. So probably for that guy, his balance rates are goofed up because that's the ECM trying to command the injector to do different uh, uh, gross flows. But it's doing that to try and keep the motor running smoothly. And so the injectors, yeah, he's got one injector in the, in the truck is really high. One of them is really low. And the truck is going to try and make the run, the, the ones that are strong, it's going to try and make those run weaker to match the ones that are weak and that can't keep up. So his DPF problem probably is related due to the injectors not working correctly. And that's something that we've seen for years now. Like people send in their stuff, Dodge dealerships send in their stuff, and we open up the injectors. Basically, before we had rake shape and we could see it, we would just tear everything apart, wash it, put new seals in it, recalibrate it, and the truck would go down the road. But complaint was oftentimes that it went into regen way too frequently. Fix it. That makes sense. He did mention in his comment that he had changed the fuel filter and it wasn't the most clean environment that he did it in and <laughs> how that could, that could, you know, create issues with how sensitive or, or I don't want to say sensitive, but just how precise the fueling systems are on these trucks where if you get any sort of contaminant in there or something, it could just wreak havoc on the whole system. With any sort of contamination that's been in that fuel, if he if he suddenly introduced contamination while doing the fuel filter, then an injector would possibly hang open, it would develop a stumble or a lope, all those bad things. And with the DPF on it, you wouldn't necessarily see that an injector is hung open because the DPF is going to just grab all that all that smoke and it's going to contain it. Tailpipe's still going to look clean potentially, but if the engine isn't running smooth or it has any like funny drivability or runability or startability issues, then, you know, my advice is always going to be pull the injectors. Um, we've got like an injector testing form on our website. So you go through and you fill out like what it's doing. Why are you even sending them in kind of a thing? And we would uh, open them up. We take pictures. If they're, if the control valves are shot, then, there's no reason to go any further because you need a, a new injector. If the nozzles are in okay to bad shape, but the control valve looks good, then we may recommend that you just put a set of nozzles on these injectors. We disassemble everything. We wash everything. We put it back together with a new set of nozzles to save that customer some money. And potentially, if you only got hit once with a bad slug of fuel, uh, you might just dump the gas tank out flush it out, and then put new fresh diesel in it, put only fuel filters in it. Potentially, we can just tear those injectors apart. Control valves are good, nozzles are good, and we just charge for uh, disassembly, new seal recalibration, and that's the cheapest alternative. I think compared, though, to buying or, well, or more, more damage that could happen um, with the DPF, with the engine itself, it would be worth just parking it, pulling them, sending them in, have you guys check them out to be able to eliminate that possibility. You know, and it would be cheaper in the long run than 
damage to the absolutely like, to the there's you know a little bit of insurance is always a good thing and if you're you know because you also mentioned that guy was making some diesel oil yeah um that's you know he's not making diesel or he's not making oil he's just filling crankcase with uh, diesel somehow and again if the injector is firing so late that you're not burning all of the fuel then the fuel gets stuck to the cylinder walls and the ring comes up the next time and then as it's grabbing that diesel it just wipes it in the crankcase um you know it could have been the cp4 pump starting to dribble into the crankcase uh so there's there's a few areas where that could have come from but you know you're you're definitely best off pulling those injectors out and having them shut down before you hurt the motor, absolutely. And the emissions, you know, products, I know that there's guys that recondition DPFs, but going and purchasing a DPF is a few thousand dollars. So I wouldn't really advise just driving it, hoping that it's going to fix itself. It's not going to. Yeah. Well, that's if you can find one too, if it's in stock and what the lead time is on one, if you can locate a DPF. <laughs> Man, we're building back better right now. What are you talking about? Lead time. <laughs> i did yeah. want to ask you about balance rates as we hear that a lot with injectors or there can be confusion for someone who's looking at a build or looking to you know refresh a truck and to me it seems really sort of confusing because you have the electronic component like you mentioned the ecm is trying to pull things it's trying to balance them it's trying to make it run smooth how do you how can you tell if it really is is it an injector you know issue with one or two or three or however many there are how can you really tell or what are some tips that maybe not an end user would use but like a, a shop or somebody maybe they do have a scan tool and they could just look and they get all this data but they don't know how to decipher it to know is it electronic is it the injectors um what you know what is what does a balance rate really mean so the balance rate is the ecu trying to make the engine run smooth and correct right so if you have a really hot injector, then all it can do is it can pull that strong injector and make it act weaker. But if you have a very weak injector, the ECU can't make that injector pump any harder. So it's going to use balance rates to keep the motor running smooth. Now, oftentimes we, we balance an injector at idle, and that's where that balance rate test comes from is at idle, basically. And I can't stand that screen because people call up and they're like, hey, um, I just bought a brand new set of injectors. My balance rates are over the board, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Um, there's a couple of things here. How does it run? Starts and runs great. Okay, good. Then the ECU is doing its job. How many miles are on the motor? Well, I mean, 212,000. Okay. Now, the balance rate, like it's trying to measure piston speed to keep the motor running smooth at idle. And that ECU is sending out the signal for some to to not pump as hard and some to pump everything they can. If the motor is not perfect, then balance rates are going to fluctuate because of that. So balance rates, even though you're talking about injector balance rates, that's uh, that's data that you, you can't make a weak piston or a leaky valve uh, function any better because the motor is getting worn out. So it's just trying to overcome that by using diesel to make more cylinder pressure. Uh, so I, that screen bothers me, but if it runs really good, then let it eat. Like it is what it is. And if you want to test it, then even, you know, if you only have a scan tool and you're looking to see if it's an injector issue, then take the, one of the really strong ones and one of the really weak ones, and then just flop those from one cylinder to the other cylinder 
and see what happens to the balance rates. That right there will tell you if it's an engine issue or if there was an injector issue. Um, there's, and that's something that like we get guys that, you know, they're trying to do their own diagnostics, trying to do their own troubleshooting and instantly before they think about swapping an injector from say number, let's say it's number six cylinder because that's in a Cummins, the one that gets the hottest and usually burns down to number five or number six. Let's just say you've got a, a misfire at number five or number six. You kind of want it to be the injector because it's cheaper than the motor. So everybody crosses their fingers and hopes that just an injector is going to be the problem. But before you go and ship those things out to us, it's probably a good idea to take the injector out of that cylinder and put it in like hole number two, where it's still running good. And if the problem stays in number five, then this little tidbit of advice just saved you freight to and from. And it saved you the fact that we just ran your injectors and charged you a few hundred bucks. And we discovered that the injectors weren't the problem at all. And you now have to get a compression check and verify the motor shirt. With, you know, some of these trucks are now getting to be 20, 25 years old. So it's not surprising to see that we're seeing a lot of engines cycle out and have to get rebuilt, right? Uh, during COVID, when things were very, very difficult to get, a lot of engine manufacturers, remanufacturers are having to source parts from people that they weren't normally getting parts from. So there was kind of a, I hated that time for all of us because everybody was trying to service a customer. We we're trying to fill the needs and we weren't really using parts in America that we're used to using. So that, that seems like a lot more warranties came out of those two years right there than out of normal years. Um, but yeah, like, Compression checks, that's something that, you know, because our we got two guys on the phones and then, you know, we're having, we've got one guy that goes through and tests all the injectors. Um, so he does the visual shakedown, sends out the emails, the report card. Eric's doing a really good job of doing that. Uh, the customers, he actually, which is kind of a weird deal. That dude's almost the pallbearer of death, right? Like he's, he's the guy carrying the, co the coffin, but uh we've actually gotten some like five-star reviews out of his performance that he's given to customers, which, which is really surprising because nobody's ever happy when they find out that they've got to buy a new set of injectors or whatever, but so he must be doing a really good job of it. I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. But uh, that, that testing thing is a really critical deal. We need good data. We need good information. And, you know, if you just set injectors in, it says, you know, tell Lenny that these are his cousins. I, I've got a lot of cousins. Everybody sends your stuff in there with like C Lenny. And I can't remember what you called me six months ago, what it was for. Like everybody else called it since then too. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I got a phone call coming in right now. Is it goofing you up or can you still see me? No, I still see you. Okay, good. <laughs> We're just going to let that one slide on through. But, uh, so yeah, with, with balance rates, you could troubleshoot that by moving an injector real quickly. And, uh, you know, that is basically the ECU doing its thing, trying to keep that motor running as smooth as possible. And it's overcoming compression, worn out motors, and possibly worn out injectors. So that's my two cents on that. If, if he does end up needing injectors for the truck, what do you guys have for six, seven power strokes? Everything. We've got, <laughs> uh, we've got stock injectors. We've got new. We've got remands. We actually have uh, a blank nozzle because those things come with eight really, really, really small holes. 
So for the longest time, we were having to go in and chase with wire those holes to make those holes bigger and then run AFM through them. Uh, so we had, we actually have in stock right now, 6, 7, and LML, because the LML Duramax is the same injector body almost. And it's, they run the same intermediate plates. They function the same in the test stand. They, they basically both pump the same amount of liters cubed. So the LML and the 6.7 liter uh, power stroke injector are, are just a brother sister twin combo kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I've got blank nozzles for those. And I know we've got some of those trucks that are like pulling in the PPL series now. And some of those guys are making real close to 1500 horse on piezos. So I feel like we've, we've accomplished a lot with those suckers. Oh yeah. Yes. It covers, covers the daily drivers, the guys making big power and yeah, there's, there's a ton of solutions there, which I'll, I'll make sure and reach out to them and say, Hey, give the guys over at dynamite a call. Um, one of the things that I love to do is catch up with you because there's so much, you guys are movers and shakers in diesel and now you've been traveling a lot recently and, you know, getting ready to again, what's been new since we chatted, uh, I think it was the end of March or beginning of April when we chatted last. Um, so, uh, basically we've got a couple of, I have one new machine here and we have an employee starting um, Monday and he'll, he'll start on a new product. It's going to be kind of new for us here. Um, we've got another guy coming in on Wednesday who is a consultant of ours and he'll be here to help get that program, the new program kind of up and running and, and make sure it goes over smooth. So we've got a guy with 35, 40 years experience uh, with an OEM coming in to help out a guy with 10 or 15 years experience. And we've got this new program that we've got to get kicked off and get moving. So that's kind of exciting. Um, I've traveled to a manufacturer to look at some, uh, some grinders for very specific reasons and purposes. And uh, we've got quotes on these grinders, super cool tools. I've traveled to two manufacturers for some measuring devices. And the measuring devices will measure, if you look at like an injection nozzle, and I wish I was, wish I had one right here just to show everybody, but where the nozzle meets the body, the flatness of that needs to be most blueprints for common rail are going to be like one to two micron and a micron is, you know, like 48 millionths of an inch basically. So we're way, way, way smaller than a thousandth of an inch. Um, so the, where the nozzle meets the body, you're allowed about two micron of deviation or, or surface finish variation there. Um, so now I have the tool ordered and coming so we'll be able to measure that, sweep across that, check it, look for any sort of conicity or if it's not flat. And it'll also run the outside profile of the nozzle and show us if our nozzle is truly straight or not. Because if a nozzle gets manufactured, you know, picture like a lot of guys know what a Swiss style lathe is. So it comes out of a Swiss machine, it gets manufactured and it's basically dead straight. And then as it goes to heat treat, depending on how that part is held during heat treat, the nozzle may end up in a, in a very, very microscopic banana. 
And then you've got a needle valve that gets dropped inside of there. Well, the needle valve is going to be, you know, ultimately very straight because that's a different material. Needle valves are made at a higher quality material than the nozzles are. And when they, uh, like needle valves, just they're made in such a good material, they don't have to really go to heat treat. But when the nozzle goes out to heat treat, when it comes back to the manufacturer, whoever that manufacturer is, if that thing has a banana shape to it, then as the manufacturer goes in and starts to grind that seat area, if that nozzle has that banana shape to it, the grinder is going to be real heavy on one side and very light on the other side. So it may not even have a full 360 degree seat. So these new tools that we're ordering up or just ordered um, will measure that seat surface. They'll measure the finish of that seat and they'll make sure that that seat is, uh, is true all the way around. And we have all these blueprints and drawings. So basically no matter where we get the part from, we're going to start running these parts in-house on these gauges so that way before we ever edm them because if i go to the effort of putting it on the edm and then it goes to afm it just ran across the six seven hundred thousand dollars in tools and then we find out on the calibration stand that the nozzle's no good anyway so instead of going to all that effort we're just buying these tools so when the blanks show up here we're going to measure them make sure that they fit the print. And if they fit print, then we'll continue on down the line. And that'll ensure that like our customers end up with a product that's gonna be the most reliable product as well. Uh, but it's, it's not cheap. And none of this stuff that we're getting into is ever on anybody's shelf already made. Everybody's always like, uh, you know, you've got you've to order. It's three months, four months, 10 months, 12 months, whatever. So, I mean, we're pretty excited about all that stuff because we keep making these, you know, I call it small tweaks, but they're not small tweaks. We're just continuously investing into the company. Um, and we did recently a buddy of mine, really sharp guy tells me that he had hired a CFO and, uh, you know, I came from a small farm community. My dad is a mechanic slash machinist, uh, you know, just a single guy shop. And then, you know, I started Dynamite, and here we are. I think there's 15 of us now. Next week, there will be 16, and then once that guy gets 100% under that program and we get it running, he's going to have to hire two or three more guys. So we're going to be, you know, really close to 20 people soon enough. And with me spending all this money on these big, fancy tools, there's always that risk versus reward, right? And from what I've seen... I keep risking more, but the reward isn't getting any better. So a good buddy of mine, who I really do value his opinion, uh, we're just going to say his name's Brian. And Brian says to me that in his company, he added a C, uh, CFO. And I thought, wow, that sounds pretty bougie. But then he went on to explain to me in detail kind of where he was with that and how it was helping his bottom line immensely. So, you know, most of the guys in the diesel industry were kind of running and gunning and doing what we find is fun. And that seems like it's going to be fairly profitable, but nobody's really doing that with like a lot of data and matrix. So we looked into it and I'm hiring a CFO. It's actually a gal that I've known for 15 years and she's going to be retiring. And once she retires, 
she'll be coming to work for us as well. So that's kind of exciting because I'm really very excited about all that. Um, so yeah, I mean, this company is changing and developing pretty much daily. And right now we got, as far as service work with, you know, I call it like the 50 to 75 horsepower stuff. We're still testing a bunch of that. Matter of fact, my 2019 truck is going to get sent out here pretty soon. And it's going to come back tested, calibrated, and we're hoping for about 100 horsepower overstock with my 2019, which will give us like all the proper paperwork to get the EO and the card number, you know, process going. Um, we're looking for one particular valve cover uh, for another truck. And I think that I've stumbled across two of those trucks. So that being said, I'm, uh, I'm really, we're, the future looks good. Like getting all the carb and the EO numbers going, that's going to be good stuff. It's really, really interesting. You mentioned the, uh, the financial part and the risk and, and reward as I was having a discussion with someone recently about like college and starting a business and, you know, specifically in diesel stuff, getting into automotive. And I was telling them with all the classes I took, they don't, I can find better information on like a business YouTube channel. Um, some of the guys who are really popular out there lessons that I didn't learn in school, but I said, the one thing, the one area that is so incredibly important that is worth getting educated on however you do it. it doesn't have to be college but is the accounting side the money side the cash flow because it's so hard to focus on that when you think of this would apply to any business not just automotive but you start something you take the risk you're stressed you're working long hours you're hiring people you're training them you're innovating you know the things you guys are doing with machinery and the tolerances and everything like that um there's so many places that you could either, you know, grow financially, manage it better, be able to invest in it. And I think that's a really key point for diesel specifically, because we're you know talking diesels on the diesel podcast, but anyone listening, if they have a construction business or something else, anything that they, they run is really learning that financial side. And I hear that from shop owners a lot where they say, I can fix trucks, I can diagnose them, I can order parts, I can manage my guys, I can keep my service rider on task. But, oh, man, the, the the accounting side was, you know, where I, I either ran into a lot of challenges or I needed help or I did the changes like you mentioned. It's made a huge difference, you know, in my business, what we can do, the inventory we can have on the shelf, all that sort of stuff. That's, you know, I've <clears throat> coming from like basically driving service shop side, a bunch of my best friends all own shops. And, you know, I've seen a bunch of guys try and run their books with their wife and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're, let's just say that in your shop, you are the sensei trying to teach everybody else how to be black belt at some level, right? And whether it's your parts guy, your service advisor, your mechanics, you, you're doing your very best to try and coach this guy to be the very best at his job all the time. And then inevitably, you're going to lose guys because they retire, they get sick, vacation, um, you know, they quit, you have to fire them, whatever. So as a shop owner, you're constantly running because as a shop owner, all you really want to do is service your customer as best as you possibly can. 
that's the real reward because shop owners don't make huge, huge, huge money. There's other things that would pay them uh, possibly more money for a lot less effort. So I see shop owners really hustling and moving and shaking, but we never have enough time to just sit and think like, okay, what did I do today? Did I do it as efficiently as possible? And when I say efficiently, I'm not talking about, did we install the engine in the fast, in, in a, as fast as we could have? Well, did you ship it correctly? Did you overnight an engine? Because if you did, like you spent all your money on freight and you have no profit left over. Did you give the customer options on freight and shipping and, and did you make sure that you made a margin? Because when you purchase that motor, you stroke to check for $12,000. And if you marked it up $1,000, that sounds like good money because you just made $1,000. But that's really not because inevitably you put the motor in there and then something goes wrong. And now you're the guy that sold the motor for $1,000 profit per se. Well, now you're the guy that's pulling the motor back out under warranty. And you've got to deal with the guy you got the motor from. And there's that. Uh, so it's the risk versus reward. And I think if shop owners kind of get up to a level where they can look at what's going on in their ship daily, then they can point and make sure that things are going really efficient. And that's kind of where I got to in the last, say, three or four years here. But the money side of it has been like, Lenny feels like we should buy this. Lenny feels like we should buy that. Lenny feels like it's time to do this. There's no real data or matrix behind that. It's just my emotions telling me that I think we're ready to hire a new guy. I think that this person needs to move to that department. I think we have to buy this tool. Well, when the gal came in that's going to be our CFO, I explained to her the new process, the new machine that we just bought, and how it's going to help us. And then I explained to her how that machine will be potentially full at 100% capacity within 60 days and then be about 300 units per month behind. And she goes, that's in two months? I said, yeah. She's like, well, did you order another one of these tools yet? Said, no, not yet, because I want to get in. I want to get the process going. I want to get moving. And she's like, "One." If you're going to be, if you're going to do 500 a month and you know that you're going to get 800 a month within two months, it seems to me like a no brainer at the cost of that machine that you order right now and get that thing in the works. So, you know, that was her analytical brain. She doesn't care about injectors. She doesn't know what they do. Like it doesn't matter to her. But when I tell her that, you know, here's the numbers, here's where the sales are going to come from. And then, you know, we're going to add a new salesperson because right now I've got one guy, Chris, that's been out two times on the road. And every time he hits the road, it turns into good sales. But Chris has kids. Chris has a house. Chris has a life right here in town. So I can't just put Chris in the truck every week to go continuously shake trees. So then I'm like, well, I'm going to have to hire another outside guy. And basically what the plan is with the outside guy is, Chris goes out, runs a week or two, one month, and the next month, he does none of that. The, the new guy would go out and run on the road a week or two. So there's constantly like a new person out there, and I'm not just beating one guy into he's the guy that has to be on the road all the time because I, I think that 
you know, we're all used to being home pretty much 4.30, you know, in the night. And if I try to turn somebody into a, a traveling salesperson, I'm just going to lose that employee. So trying to think ahead and hire guys so we're constantly, like, able for that next evolution, that next chain. And this year, I am telling you, like, commerce commerce got a lot tougher. Uh, you know, COVID, we're up 25 26%. COVID number two, COVID year two, we're up another 30%. And that growth is very expensive. So this year, it feels like we're flat. It feels like we're dead, like we're not doing enough. But I'm looking at the year-to-year -year numbers, and I'm like, wow, we're within a few thousand bucks. We're doing exactly what our best year was. It's just it feels easier because everybody out here got better tools. They got a bit more efficient at their jobs. We moved a few things in the shop, made it more efficient. And uh, But the challenge has been warehouses that used to just buy big you know, pallets of parts. That was super nice. Because we would prep their pallet, it would ship, and we were done taking emails and phone calls for that pallet. Well, now that warehouses seem to be just kind of like, uh, they're, they're just not performing at this point. Um, we've had a few of the smaller warehouses step up and start growing, but some of the bigger ones have had to change their game, and they're not doing what they used to do. So now we're getting shop owners directly calling us. And that doesn't upset me because there's a few more points of gross for me in that. But we're spending those points because now I've got to hire a new salesperson to help take all the extra phone calls and to help prep all the extra orders. Because instead of, you know, say one pallet with 80 sets of injectors or 30 sets of injectors, now it's a box with one or two sets in it and another box with one or two sets in it and another box with one. So our UPS truck is filling up, but the, uh, the, the freight truck is not near what it used to be. And that's causing us, it's more labor. There's no doubt that it's more labor, more time. But at this point in the game, you know, you got beggars can't be choosers. So I'm just happy that I'm getting the orders at all. Uh, but when we get all these new tools in house, like that costs us more to operate every day. So we've got to become more efficient and work with people that are manufacturing things and help them you know, we do a lot of testing for people on parts. And sometimes they're so far on left field that, hey, thanks for, you know, sending your part to us, but it's so far off. You're, with whatever tools you're using, you're not even going to be in the ballpark. Uh, and some of these people are able to go, okay, well, thank you, you know, the feedback, and they can modify and change and tweak. And then they say, try this one, and we can try that one, and we actually get somewhere with it. So, yeah, there's... Uh, I guess there's so many different things that are always cooking in this building. My head hurts. Like I literally have a headache right now, but it's just because there's so much going on around here. And, you know, like now thoroughbreds dino events coming up. So we leave in like two weeks for that. And then we, we take our stuff to fleece. We leave it there. We come back out two weeks later, we go to UCC. Um, I'm having a super stock, a super stock truck built right now. And he called me a couple of days ago and said that he just lost one of his key employees. So my truck isn't going to be done for like possibly a year, maybe. And I almost said, hallelujah, because now I don't have to worry about any of the other stuff that comes along with, Hey, here's your new super stock. Get to work on that. So 
this morning in our morning meeting, the guys are like, well, we got Liberty, which is this little tiny 05 truck that I've got. And Skyler and a few of the other guys started putting it back together a few months ago. So we decided this morning we're going to throw a bunch of nitrous at Liberty, turn it into a dyno princess for the year. And we're just going to go campaign that. And then Skyler's truck, it hauls. So he'll go drag racing. That's going to be what we do this year is those two things for fun. But, uh, and then I've got a $50,000 chassis out here in a, in a three inch like PPL truck that it just needs labor. Like we're out of people and out of time. And <laughs> it's crazy. I, it, yeah. What's really interesting is I see it all the time. Anytime we, uh, we chat, the episode goes out. People always say, Oh, I love listening to Lenny. I love tuning in into Lenny. And, uh, one of my friends, listens to the podcast not because they care about diesel they don't care anything about diesel the only episode they listen to are yours and the reason they said is because the things you talk about pertain to bigger topics or other things that they can relate to and when you were kind of summarizing everything going on at dynamite diesel it all clicked for me you know, the machines, why you need these tolerances, how you can measure these things because you're getting materials from different places. Well, you know, to run these machines and, and train people, it's going to cost a little bit more. Um, where the sales are coming from might be changing a little bit as well. Why does it feel like we're treading water, even though, you know, we're maintaining this tremendous growth that we had? Well, we're more efficient, but it costs us more. Everybody runs into that, whether it's construction, it's a storefront, it's any type of store they run into those things and there was one part i wanted to ask you about because i learn a lot from from chatting with you because you're on this road where i hope to be one day and so you might be dealing with efficiency with a machine or an employee i'm going to hit the same principle but in something different so the lessons are, are going to be the same do you think that there is a place for decisions as a leader that do involve emotion or does it all need to be based on analytics data um the numbers i i one million percent think that that you have to be emotional in your decisions because if i walk up to one of my guys or or a football player let's say I'm teaching peewee football, right? And I say, boys, we're getting our butts stomped here. Who has a good idea? Like you guys are on the field. You're, you're nose to nose with these other kids. What could we do right now that could put us on the board? And if one kid says, I know what we need to do. I'm going to, I'm going to hike the ball. He's going to grab it. He's going to give it to this kid. That kid is going to get blocked by that kid. We're going to run this play. If I tell those kids to run that play, it's just another play. And they're going to put in just as much effort as, as they did on every other play, which landed us at zero points on the board so far, right? But if I make them make it their idea, then they all go, that's my play. This is my play and I'm going to die trying, but we're going to make this play work. So instantly you tell them, I like the idea, give it a rip. And if it works, it works because those guys 
they were emotionally challenged and that energy when it's five o'clock and you're going home, that's somebody else calling the play. But when it's five and you're going home and you jump on the computer and you start doing some studying and you come to work early tomorrow to try and employ something you thought of last night when you're on the computer or when it's nine o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night or when it's 10 a.m. on a Sunday and you're in here trying to create something, you don't do that based off analytics and matrix. I feel like you only do that off of like challenge and emotion. So I believe wholeheartedly that if you're really going to be like world-class at anything, it's not going to be 40 hours. It's not going to be because you've got the best coaching and the most money. It's going to be because your guts are on fire and you want to be world-class. Now, once you become world-class, all the matrix and all the analytics would really help you stay there because now you, now that you're there, like maintaining that level requires a lot less effort than getting to that level. So, you know, I mean, if you take any professional athlete that's made huge money, you know, millions and millions and millions, and, you know, they were just really good at boxing or really good at football, and everybody they meet is trying to figure out how to get a portion of that, well, then they kind of get it robbed from them. But if they actually had somebody like a CFO that was incentivized to make sure that that person in that athletic position was able to maintain growth off of their investments, then you wouldn't have all the managers and everybody else just reaching in the back pocket until that guy's dry. So in my world, I think I've run this thing 100% emotionally, and I'm 1 million percent confident that I could have run it totally better if I would have brought somebody in earlier. But now, like, I'm getting ready to borrow more money this year in tools than I currently have assets in my entire life work. So I've been on this planet for 49 years, and I have accumulated less liquid, less assets, less dirt, less tools, less everything than the loan that I'm going to have to take out to get up to the next level. And that is a very, very scary spot because I'm like, I'm in a pretty good spot. But if I don't step up to the next level, I've got guys that are 24, 25, 28 years old. And if I don't step up, then I'm not building their future. But if I do step up, then when I finally do start to step away, these guys, technology-wise, will be potentially the only people in the USA, Canada, or Mexico that can actually do some of the work that we do. And you would have to really mismanage something badly if you are the only person on the planet that can do something. So I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, if I decide to check out at 57, 58, 60, if I die, if anything happens, I want to make sure these guys are like straight and square. Like it's the decks loaded. All you've got to do is just, you know, keep going. We, we didn't really have a manager until two years ago. And now we have a manager. We didn't have a CFO until now. And now we got a CFO. So we're, we're definitely changing this from a ma and pa injector shop to something that's a bit more corporate, but a hundred percent, we're still going to be emotionally driven because I, you know, when I talk to people, sometimes I start to look like I get mad and I'm not mad. Like I'm just passionate about it. So I'm just trying to stress you. This is where I'm at with this. And I don't even want to be, I don't even want to sound mad. 
I'm just so intent on getting you to understand exactly why I'm doing it this way that it sounds like anger sometimes. And then I stop and I go, hold on, rewind. What I meant to say is this is really going to kick ass because, and then I try and, you know, go more analytically at it. Cause I do think that, you know, I've, a lot of people just misunderstand me altogether. I just don't, I, I, you know, I don't think I've really, really, really offended any employees like being hostile. Um, but I've offended a lot of people because I've got a potty mouth and I'm sarcastic. <laughs> so, but I do really hundred percent passion and I'm starting as I get older, I'm just looking at this, like where, what is the retirement plan look like? And how do I make sure that all these young guys have a job after I'm, you know, old enough that I can't do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I'm a lot like you with the emotional side and I've always been really interested in the balance because there's people who are very analytical and sometimes it'll come up like from my perspective in theirs, we almost kind of clash heads a little bit because they'll say, well, you know, here's the stats, here's the data here's all the analytics. You need to do this. And I'm like, it's not going to work. It's absolutely not going to work. You know, the person listening or watching, or this is what they want to hear. And they say, well, no, we need to have, you know, some sort of data to, to back this up. And I think it's really, it can be really hard to get that balance because when you're talking about building a business that your guys can keep going with, if I was looking for a place to work or if I worked there, that would fire me like right up. Like I would be pumped up yeah. and I'm not pumped up off, yeah. off analytics and the stats of everything. I'm like, damn, I want to work for Lenny. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Um, that would just inspire me. But like you said, in order to keep to go to that next level, you also need those analytics and those stats. And, you know, they don't even need to know, like you said, what an injector is, but they can look at it and say, Hey, you need to buy another one of these. If it's going to be two months, you need another one. And then you're going to need a, you know, another couple and, and just, you know, have that, uh, that data to back up the decisions there. So the electrician came in my building, we just did some construction and we added 1800 more square feet of working space. So when the electrician showed up, who he's a really good dude, he's like, all right, you know, what are you doing? And I kind of laid out on a piece of paper what machines were going to go where kind of a thing. And uh, then, of course, you know, we had the power requirements of those machines. And this one machine that we're going to fire up this coming Monday, the company rep that sold me that machine will be here by Wednesday. So we're going to be playing with it Monday, Tuesday. He'll be here probably Tuesday but he'll definitely be here by Wednesday and he's going to make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do. And we're able to use it correctly and all that stuff. So when, when CFO girl says, Hey, you know, you better order one of those right away. I instantly was like thinking my small town brain thought this is really cool. You're going to be the only guy in town with one of these machines, but my small town brain wasn't automatically thinking like, the only way to double your capacity is to either A, at a night shift, or B, at another machine. So she walks in and goes, duh, we're a machine right now. Now, that's because that machine didn't really cost too terrible much. That was like as much as a good used car. Some of these machines that we're getting into, like those CMMs, for example, that's 200 grand. Wow. Um, that's just to measure something. So we can ensure 
that our parts leave here and are going to work. Because as COVID hit, we weren't just using OEM parts. We were using other people's parts. And some of the people that are making these parts, they don't even have these CMMs. So now I'm going to inspect the parts on my CMMs, make sure that they meet print before we try and modify them. So my customer, all the people buying Dynamite, actually get what they're supposed to get. And we're going to be the only people on the planet, well, not on the planet, we're going to be the only people in the U.S. that are doing that for anybody. Uh, and then the next level after that is, you know, that's going to be a whole new thing again. So our electric stuff that we just added here to bring in 480 volt into this building is going to be somewhere around 100, 120 grand probably. And that's a big chunk of change. Now, this building's pretty well maxed out. We're out of space. And... You know, like I told my guys this morning, I said, boys, I can either go buy us a big, fancy, bougie building and give you a lot of elbow room, but no tools. Or we buy all the tools, we stuff them all in here. I'm going to make it real uncomfortable because we're going to be elbow to elbow for about two or three years. But we have to do it because I don't have, I don't have double the money to go buy a new machine, new machine, new machine, and a building. So... We're just going to have to get the machines to where they're up, cooking, making profit, and then we can justify a new building after that. The guys, you know, they they understood it. Like, ideally, it'd be nice to be like, man, if we're going to add all these machines, let's just move into a new building right now. Well, and in my world, it's one or the other, and I'm going to choose uncomfort for a duration of time. Once we get it to where it's moving and rolling, then the cash flow that we're bringing in and the profitability we're bringing in is going to justify and warrant moving into a new building and you know that at some point I'm going to be like, my last trick is this, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> See, I think about yeah. the emotional side of that decision and I think, okay, dynamite diesel is known all over North America and I'm sure outside of it, you have customers outside the U S as a quality product, um, precise fueling for whatever the application is. You have shops that depend on you. You have truck owners who depend on you. And I think the of the emotional side of, you know, say you did it the other way and you had the building, but not the, the you know, the way to measure material that you're getting. Think of the calls. Think of the shops, the truck owners, um, the people who use the vehicle for their livelihood that, you know, would be in a predicament now. And to me, it's like, it's so easy because I think of that emotional side of, I want my customers and shops to be happy and uh have a product that lasts a long time um and that's where you know the analytical people that I, that i know you know they argue numbers and stuff but you know it makes it makes complete sense and i think that that's uh it's, it's one of the things you know during our chats that we have that it really people get an inside look at dynamite diesel like they're going to be you know listening for the six seven stuff we talked about or, or duramax or cummins and and everything like that but they want to know like Who's the person behind the company? What are the people like there? What are their philosophy? How do they approach things? Where are they going in the future? And that's what they love to hear from you. So I always appreciate chats like this one. It helps me grow, helps me learn. And uh, it just makes it, you know, I think of Dynamite Diesel Injectors. And I think of you know, the way that you run your company and the people that are there. And it's just like, I want to buy from them. I want to, I, I'm going to order injectors from them. Um, and I hear that from people. And so, yeah, I appreciate uh, 
Appreciate chatting with you. Uh, Give us an inside look at that. The, you know, Caterpillar, they do injector testing for 10,000 hours before they release the injector as a, you know, like when they're designing the injector and they're building it, they, they have to test it. It's their policy to test for 10,000 hours. Now, if you take 10,000 hours and you multiply it to say 45 miles an hour on average, that's a 450,000 mile injector. Now in a pickup truck, that sounds like a ton of miles because it really is in a pickup truck. Like a lot of trucks get wrecked before 100 K some trucks only make it 200 K and they're basically parted out in a wrecking yard, whatever. We don't see a lot of 450,000 mile pickups. So Caterpillar, when they're building over the road trucks, the average trucker is going to drive 8,000 miles a month. So if you only built an injector that would last 150,000 miles, that guy's buying new injectors way too often because when he's buying new injectors, he's also in a service center somewhere and he's not making miles, which is the only way that guy makes money. My goal is to get it to where the OEM parts seem to last. You know, if they're not treated correctly, 60, 70, 80,000 miles. And if they are treated correctly, we see them things go 200,000 miles. I would like to get it to where, unfortunately, because of not one of us, you, me, or any one of your listeners or viewers, knows for a fact what we're putting in our tank. It comes out of a hose, it goes through a steel nozzle, and it goes in that tank, and you don't have x-ray vision, so you can't see what you really just put in there. So you trust that your fuel filter is going to catch all the crap, and it's not going to. Some of it's going to get through there. And none of us, I promise, like 99.8% of us probably couldn't even find the water separator in our truck. And so you're not separating the water. You're not, that water separator is only going to hold about a quart of water. Well, after that, it just passes all the water right over the top of it and into the injection system it goes. With all that said, if I can make a part that will take a little bit more abuse and still go 200,000 miles, I feel like Dynamite will be very, very well equipped in this marketplace to be not only like a really good performance brand, but we're also gonna be the most durable brand. And durability with performance is gonna be pretty hard to keep up with. So like we're, I've been doing a lot of learning. I mean, for, I just got, I just missed a phone call from a, an Australian phone number a second ago. This guy's name's Pat. And he rebuilds uh, like locomotive injectors in, in Australia. Dude's super sharp. He's buried me in data. Like this guy will call me and like over my head every time. He emails me packets of stuff. I print the packets. I read the packets. There's so much that I could read for a year straight and not catch up to what he's already sent me. Um, so I'm very, I'm very excited to meet this guy because he's, he's a real sharp guy. And then we've got two fellas that are consultants for us. And, you know, I'm going to keep them on the top secret list. But both of them are like upper, upper, upper echelon people from OEMs as well. And with those guys helping us out, uh, you know, even part time as a consultant, the stuff that they learned in the world that they did, uh, one of these guys was re responsible for making several thousand injectors every day. And it's unreal. The amount of knowledge that guy has 
you know, when he says, do you want to buy good, better, best for whatever tools, he knows three, four, five different brands of tools that do the same thing. And of course, there's a direct relationship between cost and quality. And he gives me the options as far as like, well, you know, this one's going to cost this much, but you're going to be able to use it 99% of the time. This one's going to cost this much, but you're going to work on it 20% of the time. And this one's going to cost this much, but you're only going to see 40 or 50% productivity out of that. Then I've got to do the math and figure out if I can afford the big one or if I have to afford the, the lesser good one and just make it work. Having a guy like that in your corner is critical when it comes time to buying all these tools. Because if I start buying tools to do A, B, C, D, E, and my C tool can't keep up with any of the others on the other end, then what I save on C tool is costing me production of one, two, three, four, five, six machines. That's not a very good, uh, that's not a good balance. So that guy is critical. The other guy that's going to be here in a few days, he also came from an OEM, spent 40 years there. He's both those guys have traveled to every continent, every country that burns diesel pretty much. So having those guys helping us, a couple of my guys text with those guys back and forth because I'm not in this building near as often as I used to be. And even if I was, I still don't have the experience level that those guys do. And I'm not saying they have all the answers, but at least they know how to ask another question to try and figure out how to find the answer kind of a thing. Yeah. So the, the learning stream here is, man, I feel like that the, the learning here is almost a vertical wall right now. And it's going to be like that for three years. That's cool though. That's cool. That's why, that's why I love doing these chats with you. And I know you're a busy guy and, um, I appreciate you taking time today to, to chat with me. Um, you know, in the midst of all the busyness that, that you got, but, and also thanks for answering that question that the listener had. Uh, I know he's going to appreciate it and uh, Bill get his truck, you know, up and running. I look forward to chatting with you here soon and uh, seeing, like I said, every month, it's like, it's a little bit different with all the innovation you guys got going on. So it's really cool. Yeah. Well, I'll talk uh, to you after UCC then and we'll, uh, we'll see what we do out there. Don't forget, Diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 23Diesel20 for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. If you need it for hunting, fishing, EDC, something at work, something around the house. They've got a bunch of new models for 2023, and the latest is the Duralock lineup, which is a really, it's, it's a super cool lineup. Um, the blades are made out of D2 steel. They've got a bunch of different designs, different blade shapes. So if you're in the market, it's a great way to get some really quality gear and be able to save some money along the way. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen at 23 Diesel, J. Cole, John, all of our other Patreons, all of you who subscribe on YouTube and podcast apps or on our Discord, social media pages. We appreciate all your support and look forward to bringing you more diesel content in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.